Welcome to Cinebabble, episode 77. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I am joined by my co-host. You can see him in theaters right now as Keanu Reeves' stunt double in John Wick, chapter 4. Clint Jones, Clint Jones, how's it going? Uh, are, are you excited to be introduced to the world stage um, as Keanu Reeves ages and somebody needs to get in there and do all the action for him? I'm the only one brave enough to do it. You I are. Mean, you are. Don't don't believe. By the way, if you're listening, uh, don't believe any of those YouTube videos where Keanu Reeves runs around and uh, does his own stunts no, it's and his reloads face, his own. It's it's, it's deep his faked. face deep faked on my it's body. Deep faked. And uh, Clint really puts in a lot of work. And uh, I show. I have the bru- bruises to show it. And uh, the NDAs and, because you're not really allowed to talk about this. Uh, I understand. Laws be damned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of theatrical releases, uh, Clint and I this week uh, are, are what you watching is more of a what you watched. What you uh, watched or Clint's adventures in movie going. <laughs> Clint's adventures in movie going. Yeah. Uh, we actually got or to Clint see. Clinton Ken's, actually. Clinton Ken's. Yeah. Because uh, we were. Misadventures? Adventures. I think it was an adventure. It feels misadventure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Clint and I got to go see a little movie uh, indie flick called Memoria. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't had, uh, haven't had a chance to hear about Memoria, it's essentially a film that will never be released on DVD, never be released no on streaming. Blu-ray, no streaming. It is a theatrical-only experience. It's going to like tour around from one theater to the yes, next. one theater at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just moves around the country, uh, you know, I, I guess indefinitely. I don't think they ever plan to, to stop necessarily. Yeah. It stars Tilda Swinton. It's from filmmaker Apichat Pong, we're a chuckle, we're a thickle. We're you didn't thickle. have your your voice uh, handy that you had pulled no, up earlier. I worked on it so hard. Yeah, you just been like Pong, repeating it. Thickle. Yeah, I, I <laughs> seriously in my sleep. <laughs> Rachel's like shaking. You're like you're doing yeah, it again. Like, please stop. Please stop. <laughs> uh, he is he is from Thailand. Uh, you may recognize him from uh, Uncle Boomy and his past lives. Yeah, yeah. Among other films, um, I think that one's probably his most well known. Memoria is his first English language film, and lo and behold. Uh, Clint and I were quite surprised that it was coming to a theater within, uh, you know, an hour drive of us. Yeah, I, it was a movie that like popped up on my radar because this came out what, last year. Yes, two years, twenty twenty one. Well, a yeah, little over a year. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. And it popped on my radar, and I was really excited because I really enjoy the um, the other works of. Uh, uh, can you say his name again? Apichatpong, 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 and um, Joe to his friends. Seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Literally, what they call him. Uh huh. Um, and so I was excited, but then just seeing that it was only going to be this theatrical release, touring around one theater to the next, I um was like, okay, this is probably something I'm not going to get to see before the end of the year, and maybe put it on my list of favorite yeah. things, but. Um, so all this time passed and it just randomly popped in my head again. And I, um, I, so I just like looked it up. I was like, oh, I wanted to see kind of if maybe they gave in to demands of putting it streaming or mm-hmm. something and like maybe movie got it or something. And to see that, okay, it's actually going to be playing in a theater and it's like an hour away from us Kismet. and I didn't miss it. Like it. usually I would catch this thing like, oh, this happened a month yeah. ago. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shoot, I'll now never really see it. Yeah. But it worked out perfectly. And uh, so I was so excited that we got to go do yeah. this. And, and so we went, it was an Alamo Draft House, which I've never been to, you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alamo Draft House, if you don't know, is kind of a, if, if you could take just a, like movie a nice dinner theater restaurant and put it with a nice theater. Um, I, I was a little worried. Uh, I had never ventured down to an Alamo Draft House just because I couldn't 
picture how it would work with waiters and drinks and things like that and food coming yeah. during a movie. It was actually a really classy and cool experience. Didn't bother me at all. Uh, the waiters were were top rate. But we went on a Wednesday night, and it's when they were doing uh, kind of a, a film club, a, a community film club. And uh, Clint Which and is noticed, something we didn't realize. No, we did not. We just <laughs> thought we were going to a normal showing of a movie other than this was a, a restaurant. Yeah, it just seemed like a movie yeah. that, like, because the, the Alamo Draft House would normally get and uh, didn't really think about <laughs> the context no. it might be in when we and got And this there. was their 1,011th, uh, this location's 1,011th uh, film club movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as we're sitting down, you know, I'm, I'm kind of adjusting to everything, and I, I look up front, and there's, there's a gentleman uh, just kind of moving person from person, and he's talking to everybody. Well, what in my head was I was thinking that, like, okay, maybe because this— we didn't really know at this time that it was a film club. Correct. We just thought just, it was a normal. We just screening. saw this guy going from like, from person to person, I, and I just kind of thought maybe there was a group of them that were excited to come see this movie, mm-hmm. and so he was just talking to his friends who yep. were showing up. But then it became painfully obvious as he made his way up through the rows. <laughs> no, this guy's going person to person. Yeah. And Clint and I are not those people, and so we just started looking at each other, realizing. <laughs> We're going to have a conversation yeah, with this man. I, I whether think I we leaned over and I was not. like, I think we're going to have to talk yeah, to this guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's a delightful guy, uh, very charismatic. I'm going to refer to him as Pastor Mike <laughs> because at this point we realized oh, this this is just like visiting some church. We've it's like a movie in, church. We've stepped into movie church. And yeah. we're the visitors at this movie yeah. church. And it's very awkward, but the pastor's about to come and talk to, to us. To the point that we got a welcome gift of a movie poster <laughs> yes. for the movie that we were yep. in, like going to see. Uh, and, and then even when Pastor Mike gets up to us and he's talking to us, he introduces us to to uh, Dave and, and Angie or Dave and uh, – oh, what was her name? Oh, Let's Dave and Sue, <laughs> uh, the most you know mid-American names you can possibly yeah. imagine. He introduces us to Dave and Sue. This is like their 560th mm-hmm. uh, movie club movie. And He's just like, oh, they'll make sure you're right at home. And Sue's leaning over to us like, we'll take care of you. <laughs> we're, we're here for you. And like, cool. I just want to order pickle fries because I've never had pickle fries during a movie. Uh, Clint's like, you know, chicken sandwich. She was hand feeding them to you. This is, this is how you chew <laughs> when you're in a movie. It's different. Yeah. So, so this escalates to the point of, you know, Pastor Mike gets back up front after he's talked to everybody. He's just like, and now it's time for the group picture, guys. And well, he did a very – like, I was not on board with this guy until he started – He did his – like, because I was just like, oh, great. This is going to yeah. be the thing. Yeah. But he started doing his spiel about the movie, and he kind of won me over at that yeah. point yeah, and for sure. talking about it and try, kind of trying to warm up the crowd who were not really – like, didn't seem like the crowd for they this kind of movie. They don't know what movie they're yeah. coming to. They're part of this they movie just club. Blindly. They just show up for anything. <laughs> Thing, which actually is kind of cool. Yeah. But in our area, not so much. Right. Uh, because, you know, plot spoiler, uh, poor Sue, once we got into this movie, this was this was not. We should Sue's have been holding Sue's hand. We should have been this. helping Sue yeah. through Memoria. Uh, not because it's bad, but as Pastor Mike explained several times, this is a very slow film. And he talked about it being a slow film in six different ways. Yeah. Just to try to get the crowd oriented to this is not a fast thing you're about to watch. Right, right. It is slow. It is art. It is meant to to dwell on the screen. Uh, but but then we did a group picture. <laughs> again, Clint and I, not these people. I blame and you. I know you blame me, but this is the first time I felt real raw peer pressure since middle school. I mean, it was it was 
thick and palpable and everybody's going up front. So then, you know, I they just, were handing out cigarettes and they were <laughs> like, here, I just, I, this. I, I get up and I, I start to walk forward, which doesn't bode well. Like you're saying, if this was a cult, I, I'm pretty sure uh, we would have we would have gone to see Moon Jesus uh, after we drank whatever they handed us because I'm pretty sure I would have just drank it. Because uh, I was so you gave confused. It so fast. And, I'm sorry. I'm so <laughs> baffled. I do not do well in these situations. Like if I know something is wrong, I will put up a wall and you know I can I can make my moral stand. But if everything just seems to be normal and I'm just uncomfortable, I will go right along with it. Uh, you can you can slowly ramp me up to do probably criminal things if you just do it an inch at a time and mm. I don't realize what's right, happening. right, right. Uh, I would go again. Um, oh well, yeah. To, to this movie club experience, I, I think I, I might show up right at the last minute, <laughs> just so I can skip the group picture and the the chit chat. Uh, but no, Pastor Mike was great, and theater was great, and the food was great. Uh, I did have one strange experience I want to talk about before we get to memorial. Uh huh. I went to the bathroom, and and I consider myself a, a fairly forward thinking progressive fellow. Uh, I I am pretty good at not judging people, not thinking weird about people. And really, you know, I'm with Clint's bubble theory. If it doesn't can bother I, my bubble, I don't need to Can I preface this with something really quickly? Sure. This is not an anti-certain person no, thing at all. This is not a Ken in a uh, fight, uh, fight or flight situation yes. where his brain yes. mis- malfunctions. It's, it just misfired. Yes. And so I went to the bathroom, and on my way out of the bathroom, there was an individual walking down the hallway, you know, coming into this theater bathroom, and I must have made eye contact. I couldn't have possibly had enough time, even if I was a judgy person, to make a judgment. Mm-hmm. But this was a person who was who was dressed very effeminately, and, uh, you know, I, I, I guess— could be mistaken for a female, uh, but uh, she or he, I'm not sure which, uh, told me as I'm passing that, uh, you know, oh, I identify as male. I guess reading my look as why is this woman walking into this men's bathroom? Not a thought I was having because I just look up and your first thought is just, have I wandered into the wrong bathroom? Was I just in the bathroom, you know, split second the whole time? Was I in the wrong place? No, there were urinals. My brains are going, you know, my brain's going through all this. And this person says, identify as male to make me feel better. And what came out of my mouth? I mean, no hesitation. It just, just not even a split second pause to consider what I should say in this moment, what came out of my mouth as I pass by is, you do you. <laughs> Just, and then immediately as I pass this person and I've, I've now out loud said, out loud said, you do you, mm-hmm. I start mouthing it to myself silently. A phrase you've like, never really said. You do you, what, you <laughs> do you? And then I'm like, was that offensive? Was that good? Was that bad? Where did that come from? <laughs> and so, I wander blindly back into the theater. You were dazed when I was you came back. Really yeah, dazed because I was having this whole just moral conundrum of did I just do something good or bad or neutral or and Clint's looking at me and I'm like, so something just happened. <laughs> I tell him and he immediately busts out laughing. He doesn't offer me any encouragement. He doesn't offer me any you know judgment as to whether I did the right thing or the wrong thing. And this has haunted me for days because. <laughs> There will be times I'm just going about my day and I'll, I'll suddenly be driving and mouthing to myself like, you do you. Where did that come from? <laughs> I, I've never said that unironically. Yeah. I texted you the next day and I was just – I just put simply, Ken, you do you. 
It put me in the mindset, like there's been a couple instances in my life where, you know, somebody goes in for a fist bump yeah, yeah. and you are, I was caught off guard and I just like shook their fist. Cause like, you went in to shake a hand. Yeah. I went in a handshake and then I yeah. just grabbed their yeah. fist and like, and, and it's very embarrassing and I'm beating myself up yeah. for, oh, probably years yeah. to this yeah. point, actually. So that brings me back to, I would. I would much rather, I think this is more accurately represented as Clinton Ken's misadventures mm-hmm. uh, at the theater. Well, let's talk about the movie because I think that- There was a movie in this? <laughs> I forgot that there was a movie at the so end of all this. So this is our What You Watching segment, so we're going to actually talk about the movie, but I want to say- <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the clarification, Clint. <laughs> but I want to say the movie part of it made an adventure for me. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So so let's talk about Memoria. Memoria, yep. once again, it stars Tilda Swinton. And uh, the plot's actually fairly simple. It's about a Scottish woman, after hearing a loud bang at daybreak, who begins experiencing a mysterious sensory syndrome while traversing the jungles of Columbia. She basically hears this sound, and she goes on this quest to figure out where did that sound come from? What made that sound? Yeah. And as the movie progresses, she starts to hear the sound more mm-hmm. and starts to realize that she's the only one hearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the The story is is really that simple. What follows is this very beautiful and and artistic study of of place and sound and and all of these things. I was not prepared for what I watched, but it was a very unique experience. So, Clint, as the credits rolled, uh, what what were your first thoughts having watched Memoria? Well, I, I'm the one, like I said, I initiated this trip and I got the tickets and I was like, Ken, come with me. I didn't really explain this to you. Nope. I told you the name and I didn't tell you this was uh, by Apajapong that who did um, Boomy and because mm-hmm. I didn't, didn't even know you ever saw that movie. I think no. I had talked about it, but knew mm-hmm. it, this might not be the thing f- exactly up your alley, but I was, I knew you're always up for the challenge. It is definitely in your wheelhouse. Yeah. It is definitely not in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I knew yeah. you would be up for the challenge because no, 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 you're no. you never will I'll watch shy. anything. Yeah, I might yeah. hate it, but I'll watch anything. Right. So I um this was something I had been looking forward to, like I mentioned. And um at when the credits were rolling, I it was everything I wanted it to be and actually more because it really like it is so much in his style, like from other things. He's very um deliberately pacing and it's very meditative in what he does he loves to like let a scene linger in a frame he he he's definitely not a western uh storyteller in that the camera does not move he he holds off a shot and it's like this beautiful piece of, like painting that's just hanging there um and it so it, it lets you really sit in the moment and absorb it in a different way that you would a you know a film that is generally shown in America. And and just to paint a picture, uh, and, and I've used this scene to describe it to different people as I've talked to them, but, but there's a shot. Uh, it was the first time it really struck me what he was doing with intention. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a street um, and, and it's pouring rain. There's a series of townhouses and it just sits on that shot. And mm-hmm. it's a beautiful shot just as an establishing exterior. Yeah. And it looks like a piece of moving art. And then characters come out of the house and make their way down 
to the cars with umbrellas and mm-hmm. they have some trouble with the umbrellas and then they eventually get in the cars. But it's like he creates a scene and he just lets the scene exist on the screen yeah. for not an uncomfortable amount of time, just enough time where you think this is all this shot is, is to show me a place. And then he very patiently will then bring uh, actors into that scene without moving the camera. Yeah. And just allow action to happen. But he allows that place and that soundscape to exist and to really sink in first. Yeah. And in that in like that scene specifically, there there is this tiny story that's told. Yeah, yeah. And you get information, even though at first you don't think it is. You think it's just giving you a setting yeah. and a a place for for this um this sequence. But yeah, there's 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 also a thing about him letting it sit. And at the scale that the um, frame is, especially there was a couple scenes where um, the per- the perspective and proportions of the screen almost make it feel like you could literally just walk into it. There's yeah, a specific yeah. one that really did it to me where she's just in a library, mm-hmm. but the room feels like an extension of the theater that we're in. And it really was like off, like not off-putting in a, a like a bad way, but it just like in this way that like I feel uneasy, but in a, I don't know, in this very specific feeling. It was very it was really, surreal because yeah. it felt like you could step through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was like the the perspective, the, the planes of the walls of the theater yep extended into the screen yeah. it was it was a very subtle but very effective uh kind of visual and and he would come back to that several times sometimes outside and it would suddenly feel like the the theater just had an opening in the yeah. front and you were looking out and there were people in the distance that were in scale to what you would expect right exactly a person to right. be if, if you they would were walk in, you would through. become that scale yeah it i've i've never seen or had that experience in a theater that was that, at least not in a way that I was conscious of, that was that pointed and that uh, so meticulously designed to give me that feeling. Yeah. And it'd be really interesting to see his older work in yeah. like in a theater. Like I, yeah. I, I, if that ever happens, like some like art house around here, or yeah. they got the old, like uh, the boomy or something, that would be fun to see if like it gives that effect too. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you could replicate it on a TV screen no, no, because no. it's always smaller than right. your room. It's yeah. not extending to the walls. Right. Um, um, so yeah, I, it was everything I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And then like it, there's, I'm not going to spoil this because very yeah, few people, it's going to be hard for people to see this movie, yeah. but there's elements towards the end of this film where this is a, one of those kind of films where you could be left with a lot of questions and because it is so minimal and everything, and you could almost see that as a uh, feature that the director is trying to um you know, get across. Like he doesn't want to give all the things, but mm-hmm. like all the answers, but like this gave a satisfying to me yeah. amount of answers. If you were willing to sit in all of the moments of the film and, and like absorb it. Yeah. But like, it goes to this place at the end that I was not expecting in really for an extended amount of time. It's not just the last five minutes. No, I mean, no, it's no, no. the entire third act really shifts direction and, and was it it was completely organic, but at the same time completely unexpected as to how much time was spent just allowing the film to explore the source of that sound and and right. what that means and why she heard it and and I just and I love where it went visually with yeah, that and like yeah. the information it gave you with uh with the where the sound came from and I yeah. was totally not expecting it to be 
almost as literal as it was. Yeah. And I love that. The thing that the closest thing that I've come to as a comparison for me as feeling wise was the end of the show, The Leftovers, mm-hmm. where it um, was very subtle in what it did by the end of that show. Um, as far as giving answers to the big mystery of that, uh, that, that, that show went through. It was satisfying, but it wasn't setting out, it wasn't like Lost where it was, and now we're going to give you the answers. No, no, it, no. It was, it was much more of a, you'll be satisfied, but you're not here for the mystery and the answers. That's not what this show is. It was, but I mean, it was always an element of that right. show. And it was, it was by the end of that, you're more absorbed by, or like taken by the characters and everything right. and where their journey went. But like, it was always an underlying thing yeah, to that show. For sure. But I loved the way they, they did finalize all that stuff mm-hmm. in it, where it's just this, really long conversation between two people and a um where the one character goes yeah. and what what she sees and experiences yeah. and that's what this did like it it does it through that yeah. and um and i i was really impressed by that and i was also really impressed like because the whole central thing of this movie is based around the sound that she's experiencing. And I love what the movie did with sound um, and how it made you experience it. Because like you said, like it would let it sit on scenes for a very long time, like the, the rain scene. So you're really absorbing the sound of the rain in that one or um, or like how he really closes off a shot or sets up these shots that are static mm-hmm. that he lets the environment seep in. Yeah. So you were just hearing like bugs flying around or just the wind or a crowded a, a, cafe, a crowded cafe. Yeah. And yeah. it's not um, done in this Hollywood way where you can clearly make out like, you know, our uh, main characters conversations. So it's very absorbed. Like you're absorbed in the whole like feeling and soundscape that's yeah. happening. There's a very specific one where in another movie, this would be done completely differently. And she's in a um, college where the, it's like there's music. Uh, people, there's a jazz band playing jazz... In, in like a music room. Right, right. Well, th- yeah, it's like this college and it's the, the music department. And she's wandering around and she comes across this jazz band. So um, for a large sequence, like portion of that sequence, she you're kind of held off or uh, like – sectioned off just watching her experience in this. Yeah, and you don't see the band. You don't, you don't see the musicians. You, you hear, hear them. it. You hear it. And you see through her experience what is going on and the joy it's bringing her. Yeah. And you can tell right away that like this is not done in a traditional way of like capturing the audio of it. It feels very natural. And like it's almost like the boom operator is just catching it rather mm-hmm. than like, you know, have mics on every instrument and it sounds yeah. pristine. It feels like the room, the boominess of a room. Yeah. And then they eventually turn around and show the um the band playing. And it yeah. just feels like so very, very much like you're in that place yeah. with them. And it feels natural. And I I love the just how sound would like kind of like the like the the shots would kind of wrap around you. Yeah. It was very cool. Yeah. I I ended up loving this movie, I think, just about as much as you. I don't think it's possible to love it as much as you because it was more of a challenge for me. Uh, it is it is not the mode that I default to. And so I have to, you know, reorient my brain and then really kind of think in a different way as I'm going through. I can't yeah. just sit back and absorb it like you can. But I found myself... Uh, 
it was very strange. It's almost like the movie teaches you how to watch a movie like this. Right. I don't know how to explain that any better than that, but it was things... At, at one point, I thought, oh, no, it, did I not get enough sleep last night? I'm starting to feel sleepy. And then I realized I'm not tired. I'm yeah. not actually feeling sleepy. It's that the film is paced so differently. Mm-hmm. And the way it's making me consider the sounds and the way that I'm really dialed into uh, just the natural sounds of a scene or that I'm just patient allowing a scene to unfold instead of wondering what it has to do with the story. Right. That it it almost puts your mind into that meditation state, yeah. almost like a trance-like state yeah, but where like, you're experiencing mm-hmm. more than you're considering what's right. happening. Yeah, like the scenes become almost like this mantra that you're yeah. – because it would like they would linger and it would – you make you really absorb what is yeah. happening or, or if it's lingering on a very like – you know, a shot that is not as compelling as uh, some other one. Like, maybe, like there's a s- scene where it's just lingering on this statue in mm-hmm. this, um, you know, this uh, courtyard, this courtyard, this, sort of this park for probably a, a longer time that than any other movie would. Mm-hmm. But it forces you to really like, kind of, um, just study it and take in the other aspects of the shot and the background and everything. And it, it puts you in that place. Yeah. And um, Which I, you really, I, I realized from watching this movie, I take for granted because typically when I watch a movie, especially since I'm more of a narrative focused yeah, yeah. kind of film viewer, we've talked about that, but it's, it's something where the backgrounds, the settings, the sounds so much of the time become secondary or third tier to mm-hmm. like what's happening what is this giving me as far as a plot is 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 concerned and you don't take a lot of time to understand place or space or where where things are inhabiting or what they're doing or what they're walking into mm-hmm. and so it starts to feel almost like the characters are the center of the universe rather yeah. than the characters are dwelling within a convincing place right and and this was an entirely different experience in that way and i I found myself really simultaneously put at ease by that uh, in a way that was unfamiliar to me and also really being absorbed more into what this woman is experiencing because what she's experiencing is this this recalibration. She is suddenly focusing more on the sounds around her. Right. Which yeah. she normally had taken for granted until she's trying to figure out the source of whatever's going on in her ears or mind or or this original sound that she heard. And it's it's your at the same time that she's having that recalibration, you're having that recalibration mm-hmm. as a as a film goer. And I it totally made sense as that developed as to why this is a theatrical only experience. Mm-hmm. Because at first they had explained that this is this is something the filmmaker considers a moving piece of art mm-hmm. and it's just for the theaters and that didn't make a lot of sense to me because I'm watching an otherwise uh you know what I my first impression a, a very ordinary in, independent film mm-hmm. and it didn't make sense to me why something that's so unremarkable in its setting and place and character at first is something that needs to be seen in the theater by the end of this movie, it made complete sense to me mm-hmm. because it's such a experience that needs to be experienced with a large screen in front of you with sound all around you. Yeah, yeah. With just sitting in a dark room, maybe with other people, but quietly mm-hmm. and experiencing something both individually and as this communal group. Right. Um, 
And if if this sounds all very esoteric, that's the crazy thing about this movie. <laughs> it actually works in that in that way. Yeah. Um, and I I think you know myself included. That's what a lot of people don't understand about films like this. And I wonder how much of that is because by the time a person like me gets to a film like this, I'm watching it on my TV at home. And it doesn't have that same, uh, I'm here. It's not like I can turn the channel. It's not like I can go watch something else. I am here. And so I might as well go along with what this movie has given me. I might as well take it at face value and follow its rules rather than considering what else in my you know collection I could be watching instead. And it really does change the way that you interact with this kind of film. Yeah, and I think also that um, the experience of this is a one-time thing that you probably may, it's going to be difficult for you to revisit. And I was kind of conscious of that while watching it. And maybe maybe a little more like subconscious level. I, and I kind of, it, it sank into my brain, like the movie, like I keep saying the word absorbed. It's like you're holding on to it because you know you may never see it again. I know, but like, I, I wasn't, I don't feel like I was intentionally doing it, but I, um, I I feel like when I walked out of the theater and since that, that um, when we saw it last week, it stuck with me a lot more than even some of my favorite movies of last year. Like it's just been in my mind and like scenes will pop in there that in images. Um, I think that's something that we also take for granted because prior to VHS, uh, you know, especially if you're thinking about the seventies and sixties and fifties, I wasn't alive for those moments, but when you went to see a movie in the theater, there was no idea other than something that was wildly popular, yeah, uh, like a Gone with the Wind, that you would ever see it again. Only mm. if it came on television, and even that didn't happen at first. No, that took a while. It, too. That took yeah. quite a while. And so, typically, you went to the theater, you you could revisit and watch a movie as many times as you could before it disappeared. But then. That was it. It's mm-hmm. sort of like a stage player production. Yeah. You only get to see it in this moment. We, uh, you know, my generation and younger have completely lost that idea because anything we want to watch again, it's it's usually at our fingertips. We can just find it, buy it, pull it up, stream it, uh, pirate it, good God. Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever you need to do to be able to, to revisit something that you enjoy. But it also makes things that you don't enjoy initially easier to discard. Right. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, you know, I'm, I think about how much uh, a movie like Skinamarink um, has has really divided people because I, I really think that people get, you know, a few minutes into that movie, even a half an hour into that movie like I did initially, mm-hmm. and just this is a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. I can be watching something else. And so you don't sit there and experience and absorb it the same way to give it the patience to see if it has somewhere to go or if it's just going to, you know, be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really changes the way that you watch movies. And that's what I appreciated so much about this. It was not just a good film. Uh, I, I think it's an excellent film mm-hmm. just on its its merits. It's, it's an excellent film. Cinematography is gorgeous. Uh, the soundscape's incredible. Uh, the 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 writing and the characters are are so fascinating to me. It's very slow, but 
I loved all those things. Yeah, the acting is great. Tilda Swinton yeah. is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, there's I, I love the subtlety of the relationship like between her and her sister. Yep. And then like uh, later on la- an older character named Hernan. Yeah. Uh, who's who's really interesting. And strangely, a younger character uh, named Hernan, named Hernan where Hernan. that com- that in- that interaction is very yeah. interesting yeah. and uh, how it all plays out. Yeah, um, all, all of the elements of the movie yeah. as is it's just if it was a movie. But but this and it sounds so hyperbolic. But this was so much more than a movie. It, it really was more of an experience. It was more of a recalibration. It was more of a a piece of art that made me consider not just how I was watching it, but how I watch movies in general. Yeah. There and was end of the day, man, I love a movie that can change the way I think about movies. Yeah. Uh, it just those those always kind of become these milestone movies for me because any movie I watch after that. I think about in different ways mm-hmm. or I, I judge in different ways or determine what I like about it in different ways. There was something I was thinking about like in between the two of us and mm-hmm. like why I maybe have an easier time with this kind of thing and how you're more drawn towards a like narrative story. Mm-hmm. And it's more like a traditional. Yeah. And it's like you have a very like literary background, yep. like you you That's study true. that in, in uh, college and you, you know, you're a writer and I was I'm a visual artist hmm. and like I have to give when if I'm painting a picture or whatever, I have to give every detail of it like the background as much love and attention as your main subject of it and so i i think that's part of the reason maybe like i can maybe sit in a because you when you're working on something like that you're sitting with it for a long time and and if uh, you you have to supply everything to the viewer yeah when i'm writing something if if I I have the luxury of relying on someone's imagination, if I don't want to describe place, I don't have to describe place. Right. I can just describe action and what's happening with a character yeah. and leave place or what's happening in the background to the imagination. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with a visual medium. It's, right. it's all right there, and you're responsible for supplying all of these things to create the experience. Yeah, and you can do, you can do narrative in a single sure. piece, but it's sure. – and it's a very different kind of discipline and uh, yeah. way of going about it. But with with literary um, narrative, it's it's a That's different thing for sure. Yeah. Um, and how you how you get that across. Yeah. Um, that was just a so, little thing so, I thought about. Yeah. No. If if I, I guess the the bottom line is uh, keep an eye out. Google Memoria and find out where it's going to be. And if it's within uh, you know reasonable driving distance of you, it's really worth checking out. I'm not saying everybody's going to love this movie or have some cathartic experience with it. Um I, I did, but but you know, I'm I'm not foolish enough to think everybody's going to walk away from this thing cuz poor Sue Sue, Sue did. Sue did not. She was like her legs about an hour into this movie, you could tell Sue was done. Yeah. Uh it was it was too slow for Sue and she did not think it had a point. You could just feel everything coming off of her. It wasn't just this is a slow movie. Why does this movie exist? This movie yeah. is pointless. It's aimless. It's going nowhere. Yeah. And she really struggled with it. You, you have to give in a bit. Yeah. You have to kind of play by the rules of what um, this movie is trying yeah. Yeah. to make you play by. Um, and just if you do go see it, just just be aware of that. And Because yeah. um, you might not have Pastor Mike warning you six <laughs> times about how slow this is going but to be. But I highly suggest... 
if you can go see it. Yeah, it's yeah, for sure. It's a great experience, mm-hmm. um, just for the fact that you might might never have that uh, chance yeah. again. And even if you think it's too slow, I I do think it would be something where you couldn't possibly not wonder what the answer to this mystery is. Yeah. Even if you're just at a surface level, I don't like the style. I don't like the slowness of this. It is going to answer. Uh, you know, this question for this woman. And the answer is so much better than just a anything that you could kind of cook up in your brain to to answer. Yeah, so uh, much more fascinating it. and yeah. Uh, yeah. goes in avenues and paths you're not expecting. Yeah. And, and, and really the source of the sound, which it will tell you, but even the source of the sound is not nearly as interesting as the implications of the fact that this woman is hearing this sound. Mm-hmm. That's where it really gets its depth and its its mileage. And um, I just, again, I, I was very surprised at how much I love this movie. Um, but it, it, it was it was definitely an experience. I'm glad you have come around to it a lot because yeah. when we walked out, you weren't quite sure. You're like, I don't know if I like that, what that did to me. And I, I, well, and I, I actually... was still processing. <laughs> it was such a weird series of feelings that yeah. I was going through. And, but it has haunted me. Mm-hmm. And one of the other interesting things is because it takes its time, I find that when I try to go back and replay scenes – I can remember exactly what they look like. I can yeah, remember yeah. exactly what happened in the order it mm-hmm. happened. And so not only has it kind of haunted my brain, I feel like, and I know it's not to a full degree, but I feel like I've been re-watching it mm-hmm. the whole week since we saw it. And it just, you know, that that initial, I don't know what I feel right now. Yeah. My brain has continued to process and put together and – um you know, I'm I'm just at a place where it seems like every day I have more appreciation for the movie than I did the day before. Yeah. One thing I wanted to talk about for a second was um, I was you had sent me a conversation. They they, they did an interview after the, a showing in New York. Um, it's on YouTube. You it's can on YouTube. Find it. It's and like it, a 45 minutes. Yeah. They're talking about kind of Q&A. the process of making this mm-hmm. and their working relationship. And I love the idea um, of how... They, 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 he's from Thailand and they, and they found, they were trying to find a setting for this movie. Cause he specifically didn't want to shoot in Thailand. Yeah. He yeah. wanted it to be foreign to him and, yeah. and to Tilda Swinton. Right. Right. They wanted yeah. the, the location to be another part of this that is influencing the, um, direction of the film. Yeah. And they, and yeah. they landed on Columbia because like there's some kind of thematic and historical overlap between Thailand mm-hmm. and this in Colombia that they could, and but it was um, foreign enough that um, it was making them think differently. Yeah. And I just love like they're talking about how they um, narratively and everything they they had this you know, lockdown as far as character and things, but they wanted the location to seep in and influence it. So like you can tell, like they, they would have these scenes that are, um, ready, like, you know, narratively, but they would find locations that would influence it. And like, and whether that would be, it was a big part of this movie and just like, they would let that seep into the, um, the frames and influence it and influence how they're reacting to it and everything. So it all like, it pushes it beyond what they thought it would be or what it could be. And they're surprised by it too. And, you know, almost to the point where it's making every like, take differently like even these are long takes and they're talking like about how one take that's 
from uh, the path, like one to the next is not going to be the same thing. And yeah. just because of location and weather and uh, nature and all that, it's, it's so cool. I love yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've gone on to watch different interviews and, yeah. and different uh, behind the scenes stuff. And it just, uh, again, that's, that's been part of my process after the movie that's made me appreciate it more. And uh, apparently there's a book I need to get my hands <sighs> on too. this book. Yeah. Um, where there's, you know, they've they conceived of a longer film and it had more scenes, and the book describes those scenes mm-hmm. that they shot, but ultimately got cut out of the movie. Uh, that that expand a lot of just character moments, and I would love, yeah, uh, to track down that book and and just read about some of that. Yeah, it's hard to find. I, I'm yeah, definitely I gonna. You can get it from the publisher, but it's like in the UK. Um, yeah. but I'm definitely going to at some point. All right. Well. Uh. So yeah, go see Memoria. Um, we are, uh, sorry, we talked about a movie that you might not ever see ever for see, 40 minutes. <laughs> really? We talked about more than that, but you know, timestamps, what are you going to do? Right. But, uh, last, last episode, Cinetron spun up, uh, killer clowns from outer space. And we realized killer clowns from outer space was from 1988. Mm-hmm. And if you've been listening to us for a while, you know, that we had, uh, a really fun episode, uh, more than a year ago, that was just movies from 1988. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided not only were we going to watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which I was not real happy about having to watch, but okay. Uh, but we were just going to fill a whole episode, minus Memoria, with 1988 flicks. So jump in the time machine with us. Uh, we we have somehow even more 1988 films than we talked about last time. 1988 Part 2. In 1988 Part 2. But man, when you look at the list of films from 88... It is stacked. There's yeah. so many films. We're going to talk about five today, and it's still not even coming close to touching all of the great films from 88. So Can maybe I, there's an 88 part three in all of this coming. There prob- probably, probably could be. I want to talk about, let me mention real quick a movie sure. that we are not going to talk about from 1988 okay. that I watched. Okay. And there's no reason for us to talk about. But because it's from 1988? It's from 1988. Okay. And there's a reason we're not going to talk about it because okay. it's terrible, and that okay. is tape heads. It's terrible. <laughs> 100% agree with you. I have seen this. John Cusack, Tim don't, Robbins. Don't be lured in by that class. No, no. That, that cast. No, no, no. That's what lured me in. Yeah. And I was thought this a, could be a zany kind nope. of like Wayne's World movie. Nope. Man, just watch Wayne's World. This movie nope. sucks. It's terrible. I am sorry if you love Ooh. it. Uh, maybe Ooh. just get better taste in movies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Way to judge, Clint. All right. So today we're talking about Akira, Die Hard, Dead Ringers, Child's Play, and Killer Clowns from Outer space. Let's start with Akira. Uh, Akira is one of the just granddaddies of Japanese animation. Uh, But if you were a fan of anime and you've never dug back in and watched some of these early classics, it's Are we going to do Dead Ringers too? Did you mention Dead Ringers? I did mention Dead Ringers. (sighs) I'm sorry. I zoned out. That's all right. Uh, But Akira is a very different kind of anime than what modern anime fans probably think of anime. Uh, But here's the plot. In 1988, the Japanese government drops an atomic bomb on Tokyo after ESP experiments on children go awry. Great plot already. Mm -hmm. But then, jump forward 31 years, in 2019, after the nuking of the city, uh, Kaneda, or Canada, uh, a bike gang leader, tries to save his friend Tetsuo from a secret government project. Uh, Clint... All these years later, I know you've seen Akira before. What did you think of Akira this time? Well, can you be, uh, you'll be, you're going to be in this scenario, Canada. Okay. Because you're Ken. Okay. And I'm uh, Clint Suo. Oh, Clint Suo. <laughs> <I like> Canada. 
the original dub for this, he was Kaneda. And so I, for years, I had watched this over and over and over again, and it was Kaneda and Tetsuo. And then the new, more accurate dub came out, and it was it was Canada, and I can't say it properly, but mm. it's still Tetsuo, but it was just said with a different inflection, and it threw me <laughs> off so much. And they're just they're always Canada and Tetsuo, but I will definitely call you Clint Suo uh, till I forget again. That's Clint fine, Suo. <laughs> what do you think of Akira? Well, Canada, I um. <laughs> I yeah, like I've seen this movie so many times. Yeah. Um, it's one that I, when we were um, starting to be, become friends early on in our our youth, after I got over the fact that you had stabbed me three times, it you know, it's, yeah, it was a it was a different time. It would have been four if I could have, <laughs> um, but uh, you you dodged that one. I did. I did. Um, Definitely. You... <laughs> You um you started turning me on to all kinds of movies and like yep. you slowly like I I was not an anime like connoisseur by any means I didn't hadn't seen anything in that vein until you started slowly seeping them to me and to be fair I wasn't until this little video store just one day I'm in, I'm I'm in the video store and there are these three shelves full of movies and I'm like what are these yeah and they had all kinds of adult warnings on them and you know no kids under seventeen and all this I'm like well. I'm definitely running these. <laughs> and uh, literally, the first two I got were Akira and Fist of the North Star, the oh, old my. Fist of the North Star yeah. movie. And I took these home and, and watched them, and they just blew my mind. I I never thought animation could produce something that was at the level of, uh, you know, these other movies that I was being introduced to at the time. And yeah. so, uh, you know, it started with three shelves full. Um but it, that was a wild time, and I just started handing them off to you and to John and to just anybody, like, watch this thing. Yeah, yeah. So this was one of the first ones, and then, like, Ninja Scroll and, yep. like, Vampire Hunter D. And um, this was one that, at the, that time period, I don't think I was quite ready for because I hadn't seen a lot of foreign film at that e time either. And so this is definitely not paced like a Western American film. There's, um, I, there was narrative things and character things that I was like, kind of felt I was wanting more of at, at the first times I had seen this movie. Um, I felt like it dropped you into the action a lot quicker than I was expecting. I was like, oh, who, who, what is even happening? Who are these people? And Why? For a good portion of the middle of this movie, it, it slows down. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there was a pacing thing I wasn't familiar with. But like, as I've grown <laughs> as a go. man and a movie watcher, oh, oh, I see what you did there. I, um, I've really come around to this movie yeah. and it, been able to enjoy every aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, first off, man, the animation is like a pure work of art in this movie. And Completely hand-drawn before <sighs> computer assistance. Yeah. Um, and, and just doing things that you would expect from a live-action feature film uh, rather than something that that's being animated. Yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling to think about like just from like man the light trails on the bikes mm -hmm. and like just the the like ingenuity to try to do that like it is just 
just thinking about it like hurts my head. <laughs> and also like just sequences of like how they use light in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like it just feels so natural. And just like thinking about trying to animate that just like like hurts my head as well. This movie has actual cinematography. Yeah. Which you don't usually associate that word with uh, animation of the era, 2D animation. Uh, but this has... Uh, you know, an enormous attention to light and darkness and depth of frame and and the sort of things you you would think of if if you were talking about a modern film right. uh, that's being shot in, in HD. Right. And it, all of that is captured in frame drawn. Uh, right. And it right. just, when you really, it, especially after you've seen it once and you really start to think about the construction of this piece of of movie making history mm -hmm. it's wild to think of how much goes into each frame right and man just like watching it now it like it feels still fresh and relevant yeah. and like on par with anything you would see yeah. now um even past it like yeah. because it they really just devoted all their attention and um mind power into creating this world. It feels mm. completely flushed out. Like we had been talking about, like even to the degree of like, you feel like there's these like warring factions of power mm -hmm. in this, like in Neo um, Tokyo. Of all different levels. All there's different a levels. gang, there's, there's yeah. government intrigue. There are these scientists that have their their own agendas. There's a cult that's kind of springing up and worshiping. Right around Akira, uh, yeah. A a Akira, uh, Akira. Akira. And, uh, you know, you have all of these different things. And all they do is make the world feel more fleshed out and more lived in and more full. And it's not just about this handful of characters that you're following at the forefront. It's it's this world and they're your gateway into this world, but this world is so much bigger than them and so much more involved than even what they're seeing. Yeah. I mean, like you are introduced to this main um, group of, of, of this biker gang at the beginning, but like, like you mentioned the the middle of this film really slows down yeah. is more interested in like, you know, the government and how they're reacting yeah. to it. And like these, the telekinetic children mm -hmm. and, um, and just these other aspects of the world that make it feel much fuller. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the thing, like seeing it younger in life, like that portion of it wasn't as interesting, but as growing, growing up and growing with this film, you can, like, I've, come to really appreciate that and why that's there. Um, it's, it, it's interesting to me. I, I love this film yeah. too for all the reasons you're talking about. But for me, it's interesting because this came out in 1988 and I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss modern anime. Modern anime is something just very different. And it's interesting right. to me that this style of Japanese animation, this very uh, feature length, feature film style uh, drama yeah and, yeah, and thriller really, uh, at least to my knowledge, doesn't exist in Japanese animation anymore because mm -hmm. it's become this very episodic, hyper real, hyper flashy. Uh, you know, let's let's push the concepts and the culture to the extreme, and 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 that can be entertaining, and I get why people love that. But I, it's it's interesting to me that thirty years ago or how long it's been, this movie. Uh, is seemingly even today still ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. It's still ahead of where we're at right now. And to think that a movie 30 years ago is still more advanced than what we're getting today. It's like, where, where did we fail in that, 
you know, that period of time? How did we not continue to evolve from that uh, style of film into something even more incredible, you know, that was built on the back of, of Akira? Yeah, it's strange what aspects of it have been um, kind of continued and pushed. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's a melodramatic aspect of of it that's like really heightened in like the animation, um, the things that they really latched onto and kind of really um, have evolved are are very strange to me. It's almost like they learned the long the wrong lessons. Yeah, yeah, from Akira. And uh, and again, but I'm also, not trying to dismiss no. the things that are new. It's just it's interesting to me that we don't have something 30 years later that is the next level of Akira. I I still consider not because I'm an old man, but I I just I still I haven't found something that follows the Akira model in animation and does it at a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Akira is still that one of those pinnacles of. This is as good as it gets. And, uh, you know, that doesn't bother me. I love we still have that movie. But it it just it surprises me. I'm wondering if like maybe that's like thinking about it, like uh, maybe me too thinking about it wrong in that like sometimes I like uh, this director. Um, oh, what's his name? Oh, Katsushiro Adamo. Mm-hmm. Um, and like um, Hayao Miyazaki. Like I'm wondering if like there's a dividing line between like real like anime that we think of Mm -hmm. now and like this is more just japanese animation there's just a dividing line there and it's just two different things almost and i think that's probably because manga is so uh diverse right right but it's really only certain portions of manga that get adapted into anime yeah um and so you're you're probably right there it's probably much more of a cultural uh you know profit driven just like anything in hollywood well you know the flashy stuff is what makes the money so i'm glad you liked your movie in 1988 but the kids aren't paying to see right something like akira the kids want chainsaw guy with uh, literally there's a there's an anime with i, I know yeah yeah chainsaw yeah. out of his face and chainsaw out of his hands yeah I'm sure it's delightful you enjoy <laughs> it kids but i just i i have no desire to go and watch chainsaw man yeah um but i'm sure it makes fortune for so, sure i mean I it's it. like the superhero stuff here basically yeah. um yeah. but man there, there's something that i really took away this past time watching it is just the pure like Something that I have had a hard time with grappling with, with like kind of modern cinema, like especially with like films like, you know, the new Godzilla movies Mm -hmm. or like Pacific Rim or something where they're trying to get across scale and like action in that scale and in the size of like destruction and damage and, you know, all that. Like it never has this weight behind it that I want. And then watching this, like... Man, it has so much weight when it's trying to show destruction on a scale, like city scale, or like um, or Tetsuo's like fighting a, a tank, and there's a a blast or something. A little bit of camera shake. A little camera shake around the edges, but there's something about about it that really has this weight that I feel like I can't even have not experienced in a modern movie. Um, and I'm so, was so impressed by that uh, this time around, like, um, uh, because maybe it wasn't something I paid attention to or had noticed before. Um, 
But I, I, man, I wish that someone would take a lesson from this in that aspect. Well, and especially with modern CG filmmaking or CG heavy filmmaking, uh, the cameras are CG as well. And so they can fly around and get whatever angle they want. But when you start flying the cameras around, they lose that man on the ground with a real camera shooting something mm-hmm. feeling. And that's where you get a lot of your realism and your lot of uh, suspension of disbelief and, and your weight. And you watch something like Akira and, and they're animating it as if it's being shot mm-hmm. with real cameras. And the camera will just sit and observe something. The camera will react when there's something that, that you know, has an impact on the screen. And you just, you feel like even though this is animated, there, there is somewhere there an animated cameraman that's capturing all of this. And, right. and it really, maybe that's just, you know, for moviegoers, maybe that registers in your brain as, as something that that gives you that weight and scale, but it, it definitely does that. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, our next movie, just to slide right in, Die Hard, exact same thing before I get to what it's about, but, but Die Hard has real weight and scale, but it's this... 30-year-old action movie. Mm-hmm. And how does a 30-year-old action movie have more weight and more impact and more oomph than, you know, Fast 9 or Fast X or, you know, oh, look at the CG cars flying everywhere and they're parachuting out of a plane and <laughs> flying around a tank and now they got to run away from a submarine and it just, it loses, it gets very cartoonish. But it's about family. <sighs> It is about family. You know what else is about family? Die Hard. New York City <laughs> policeman John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, is visiting his estranged wife and two daughters on Christmas Eve. He joins her at a holiday party in the headquarters of the Japanese-owned uh, business skyscraper that she works for. But the festivities are interrupted by a group of terrorists uh, led by Hans Gruber, who is played by um, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, the late Alan, the late great yeah. Alan Rickman. Uh, Clint, uh, Die Hard is an early action, an 80s icon of action movie making. Uh, you're not usually an action fan. What did you think of Die Hard? In 2023. Would it break your heart and you would disown me if I was just like, I just hate Die Hard. Oh, it would honestly, I'd be, I'd be shocked. I know yeah. it's not Memoria, but it would really, <laughs> it would really mess with my head. Did you not enjoy it? Well, it'd been a while since I've seen this, probably a few years. Make me feel better, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I will say this still holds up oh, really, really all right. Really, really well. Yeah. Um, I was surprised actually how much like I still really enjoyed this movie and um and how uh, like yeah, even beyond like modern because I'm not like a John Wick movie mm-hmm. fan or like any of these. Even modern, though you, you know, are taking care of all the stunt work for Keanu. I but I that's a paycheck. I know, I know. You gotta make that money. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I know. I mean, I got to put uh, bread on this table somehow. I get it. Yeah. Get it. Um, but man, yeah, this is so, it's so much more fun than I remembered. Mm-hmm. Like, it's actually funny. Um, the action feels very relevant still um, and fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was forgot how much like fun Bruce Willis in his heyday, he, like, 
how much fun he was. I just love how much damage he takes in this movie. Oh, yeah. It, at no point do you feel like this guy is invincible. At he's no not point a, do you feel like he's, he's a superhero. A superhero right he is getting wrecked. This, I mean, from the beginning, no shoes. Yeah. He is getting wrecked mm -hmm. throughout this movie. And I, I just love that feeling of this guy could die at every second. You know he's not going to. We know the action movie formula. But at the same time. It's going to be you, hard for him to die. You get that real sense. You die hard, <laughs> but but you get that real sense of there's there's danger here yeah. for this person that I'm following. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was um, pleasantly surprised by how much fun, like, and kind of campy in a really enjoyable way. Alan Rickman's like performances in this. He's chewing so much scenery. Oh man, he's he chewing it up, it. And spitting it out, and I'll, and I'll yeah. eat it all up. It's great. Um, a few years later, he plays Sheriff of Nottingham in the Robin Hood movie. <laughs> and you can hate on Kevin Costner all you want, but that yeah. movie is, it's so much fun because of Alan Rickman. Mm -hmm. And the same thing here. Bruce Willis is having a blast. He's really good, but he has, on right on the other side, he has this foil that's having just as much yeah. fun with this character. And it makes them both... Uh, uh, different. It it makes them both um, something that that they can do and say things that are unexpected. Right. And they really play off of each other. And it gives you this feeling of by the time they're really going to clash, uh, that it's going to be something big and it's going to mean something. Yeah. I also really enjoyed that, like, this is at least one of the first ones I can think of. It has that trope in it that the couple are on the rocks Yep. And the action movie, the we're getting a divorce trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're we're split up, we're yep. and we're forced back into the situation, and then that through it they come back together. And <laughs> there's so many movies that do that now. Like all of those, like um, uh, Roland Emmerich disaster yep. movies. I think every single one has that. Like there's yeah, the, at least the split family. Yep, yep. And healed throughout. Yeah, the father's trying to get to them. Um, oh man, and there's a lot of different tropes in this that like you are seeing kind of for the first yeah. time, um, but are still like you're kind of aware. Like I was aware of it, but like it f really works in this yep. movie. The bumbling FBI agents. Yep, and yeah, the, yeah. The short-sighted uh, police chief or yeah. captain or whatever. The lowly cop, like just like beat cop yeah. who is uh, more aware of what's yeah. happening than like, yeah, like the bumbling sergeant. The, the cops stuff. from one city who are super offended that a cop from another city <laughs> is trying to do anything that could possibly defeat uh -huh. a bad guy, yeah. uh, which is a very Beverly Hills cop kind of, you know, he's from Detroit, not in my city. <laughs> I, I find the... Um, the aspect of it set at Christmas really enjoyable. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. like I forgot about how much Christmas music is throughout yeah. it. And like, it really does kind of stand up as this Christmas classic. And it's about family. It's about people coming back together. It's about, you know, healing old wounds. It's totally a Christmas movie. I yeah. don't care what anybody says. Yeah, yeah, Love yeah. It. Um, it's also like kind of like Akira at the center of the middle of this movie, it really kind of slows down yeah. and it becomes more of this character who is like kind of beaten down and just trying to survive for a moment and like trying to catch his footing and figure out where to go next. And um, who's developing this relationship with this beat cop down on the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the and, only one he actually trusts. Right, right. And like you're just kind of with the, the um, these insurrectionist uh, um uh, terrorists who are are trying to like you're trying to kind of 
parse what their motives are and what they're after. And uh, you're spending. And they have a really cool dynamic too. Yeah, yeah. You, you get that sense that these guys have really worked together. Right. In in criminal ventures for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. There's different friendships and different little <laughs> rivalries, and it it really it doesn't go into it, but you can feel it. Even like the brother who his brother got killed by Bruce <laughs> he Willis. So it, mad. He's so mad, and he's just out for blood, and that yep. that's so funny, especially because like uh, there it's just like this group of Germans yep. who. Uh, <laughs> It's just, I don't know. It's with so the silly. one random black American who's really in tight with them, but oh, he's yeah, their yeah. tech guy. He's the tech guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a lot uh, of fun. Well, um, I, I was really also after watching that horrible, violent night mm-hmm. movie that we saw in the theater, yeah. um, which is totally a, a couple times removed from this. Like but a it, complete rip. Oh, off. it's such a rip yeah. off and like kind of pulls all the wrong messages away from of from this that and makes it so diluted and uninteresting like yeah. and you just go back and watch this like it's, but there again here's a movie 30 35 years later yeah. it should be this next level of uh, of of what you know die hard was years ago but somehow Die Hard comes out head and shoulders above. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting to me because it's not like that with everything. Sometimes you see movies from the 80s and, man, they're dated and mm-hmm. they're aged. But really the only thing dated in Die Hard other than hairstyles is, you know, the when tech. you see a computer screen yeah. or – uh, you know, how they the handle very, phones or the very like gray, like computer, you know, like yeah, there, yeah, that yeah. was the thing where like everything is just painted gray yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I just, there's, there's so much fun to be had here, whether from the perspective of the bad guys, the good guys, the in-between guys, there's, there's just a lot of fun. I, every time I revisit this, it surprises me how much comedy is in it. it. Because I always think of it as an action thriller. I don't think of it as an action comedy. But it's totally an action comedy. Yeah. And and not in the sense that it's it's not taking things seriously um, or you're not going to believe in these people, but just in a way where there's, there's as much humor as there is suspense. Some uh, of the best this. one-liners of yeah. movie history in that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know... My goodness, you better know by now. But there's actually a really great twist in this movie. There's several. Uh, You know, there's kind of uh, when Hans Gruber runs into John McClane. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they have this great moment where Hans Gruber grovels and cries. And you think, oh, he's just a weak bad guy. Right, right. Nope. He's, uh, he's playing him, just being quick, mm-hmm. and but John McClane's paying him, playing him right back. Yeah, and then there's the twist of you know, oh, we're we're these very high principled terrorists, uh-huh. and then there's the twist of no, we're just stealing, this is and that's, a distraction. That's all a ruse, yep. just to get them freaking out and and playing into our hand. Really, we just want money. Yeah, I mean, there's some really good, just kind of natural plot twists in this movie that keep it fun. There's some really great, this time uh, watching it, really great, just like cinematic, really thought out um, shots mm-hmm. in it. Like, just like you, you're, mm-hmm. I was really surprised with like certain camera movements and stuff that mm-hmm. were really like showing the building mm-hmm. um, in a different light than I ex- was remembered. Like there's a really great shot where there's, um, 
a truck driving down into the parking garage mm-hmm. of the building and there's another one going the other way and just how like it's going down and the other one's going straight. There's this weird yeah. optical illusion thing happening um, that, and there's just multiple things like that. There, like, I just would be like, Ooh, that was really good and thought out. Well, and I think there's something to, you know, a lot of these movies in the eighties, uh, action movies that really stick with you, uh, even the seventies, whether it's, uh, whether it's alien sci-fi or it's predator or it's it's this, the directors at that the head of these things are filmmakers who are less concerned about the action and more concerned about making a good movie. Let me mention that um, this is something I didn't realize until I looked this up, but this is directed by John Mm -hmm. McTiernan, who also did Predator and like Hunt for Red October. And I just like, I didn't realize like, oh, this is kind of, this guy was like an auteur, like did all these like classic movies from this time period. And And that's this, that's, that's what I'm saying. This wasn't made to be an action movie any more than Predator or Alien were made to be Mm -hmm. sci-fi action movies. They're, they're... They have all of these elements from these different genres that lend themselves to the movie. Right. But really, the movie is trying to tell a good story. Right. With interesting characters. And yes, there's something extraordinary happening, but it's much more about making you feel like John McClane is a real guy and Hans Grumer is a, a real bad guy. And they just happen to be thrust in this situation together. Right. And what's going to happen? And let's keep it as believable as we possibly can while still sticking to the idea of the extraordinary event of terrorists taking over a building. Yeah. And I feel like that's maybe a fault of um, some of these modern, like the the uh, Fast and Furious films mm-hmm. or like the John Wicks. Like there's this sense of flashiness then over the topness, it's going to get the money from the kids. It's going to get the money from the kids, and it'll get your attention like quickly when you see a trailer. But I feel like to the detriment of in the future the story and the staying power of something like this, like it, it's just so. Uh, I feel like it really kind of dates it and. Mm-hmm makes it not as digestible down the line. Well, and we just reviewed Infinity Pool by Brandon Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. 35 years before is our next movie, Dead Ringers. Same exact thing. Infinity Pool is so flashy mm-hmm. and so loaded with uh, visuals and and trying to find this extreme and to push these boundaries and to create something that's really going to dig into your brain. 35 years before, his dad with Dead Ringers goes in the complete opposite direction and starts small but creepy and just allows a story to kind of tell itself. If if you haven't heard of Dead Ringers, uh, it stars Jeremy Irons as twins, Elliot and Beverly. They are gynecologists who work at the same practice. Uh, Elliot is attracted to many of his patients and has affairs with them. When he inevitably loses interest, he will give the women over to Beverly, the meeker of the two. And what follows is something that, uh, side note, I'm really interesting to see. There's a there's a remake series mm-hmm. coming starring Rachel Weisz on mm-hmm. uh, Amazon Prime yeah. uh, that comes out next month. Same exact thing, just with a, a gender flip. But I'm really, really excited to see what they do with it because I was just about to say they don't make movies. This is such an old man statement. <laughs> they don't make movies like this anymore. Mm-hmm. Something that really just gives you some interesting characters and then lets uh, some psychological damage play out and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. 
Clint, what'd you think of Dead Ringers? Well, um, I think there was couple podcasts back on what you watch and i mentioned that i had watched this for mm-hmm. the first time it's one that i had kind of put on the back burner i think i had started it one evening and just you know what it, it just didn't catch my attention right away mm-hmm. and i fell asleep or whatever and um then i recently went back to it and gave it the attention it deserved and realized man this is right up there with all of Cronenberg's other work yeah. um i love that there's it's not pure, like, body, just like the body horror aspect of it. It's a little bit more of a, it's kind of a stepping stone into his later work yeah. as far from as Videodrome. Videodrome from, is much more straight body horror. Right, right. Into kind of like history or, of yeah. violence or something where it's like this character study um, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and it's more, it's a lot more in that vein, but also it's like this bridge because there, there's a, a body horror element to it, mm-hmm. but it's a lot more subtle and it's kind of like a psychological um, thing that one character is kind of, um, kind of seeing and kind of feels like he's experiencing mm-hmm. in, in his line of work. Um, and it's, um, I love that aspect of it, how it slowly creeps in there. Um, but man, what really drew me into this was just Jeremy Irons' performance as these two brothers, yeah. um, and how he really paints like a different character for each one. And like, there's very slight differences between them and to the point where it's almost feels like it's overlapping and causing this strange confusion, uh, like purposefully so, um, but I was really taken by his performance, and um, yeah. I I wasn't expecting. It was kind of like turned me on to, like, man, Jeremy Irons is really good. He really is. Yeah, he he plays such distinct characters mm-hmm. here, and not because he's going to theatrical ends to differentiate between no, the no, two. No, no, no. He keeps it subtle enough so when you need to know which one is which, you can tell. Right. But other times. Someone will enter a scene and you're not quite sure which brother you're with right now. Right. Because not only are they different, but sometimes they pretend to be each other. Right. And so it confuses you. But just just the fact that he tracks and creates these two different characters who simultaneously can play each other mm-hmm. is is wild to me. And uh, the the very practical effects of putting both of them on screen certainly helps. It's masterful. Mm-hmm. There's never a seam in this entire movie. Uh, I mean, if you know anything about compositing and and filming or creating twins out of an actor, you know how they're making the shots they make for the most part. But there's never a moment where you lose the sense of there are two humans on the screen. If I had never seen Jeremy Irons before and didn't know he wasn't twins, I would completely think they had found twin actors for this role yeah uh because he's just so convincing yeah and i mean that's the illusion they're going for and i i I, i'm always impressed when a movie can really just give that sense of disbelief that you are in on that that and you're just like sold by it that's so cool it's it's fascinating to me too because 1988 is not an era i would associate with identity politics identity politics is much more of something i would associate with 2023 Mm -hmm. infinity pull definitely tackles, you know, issues of identity and identity politics and and things like that, but far less effective than a 35-year-old movie. And I know this is starting to get repetitive, (laughs) but, you know, we didn't pick these movies because of these connections, but I just kept watching this emerge 
as here's this movie that's 35 years old and it's dealing with issues of identity more profoundly, I think, than any movie I've seen this year. Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting to me because it it really – a lot of these filmmakers, I, I think the reason that their films have – have really lasted and become iconic and, and have stuck around in, in kind of the cultural consciousness is because they're dealing with these universal themes that, yeah, we may be focused more on now than we were 35 years ago, but it doesn't mean that the art from 35 years ago doesn't have anything to say today mm-hmm. um, because they're really tapping into things that are are key or or even keyly confusing to the human experience. Right. And yes, this is about twin gynecologists. And I'm assuming everybody out there, you're probably not twin gynecologists. Well, like, that's what I mean. Like, But yet it still yeah. is able to connect and, and say something. Right. I mean, identity politics and kind of gender politics within that of the, like their line of work, because like they're, they're, putting their spin on that, um, like the gynecological study. And like the one is having these like thoughts about women mutating and he's going to, um, feels like he has to do this very drastic thing yeah. to like, cause he believes this thing about women and he has the power to do this because yeah. he's in this situation. And, uh, that's another angle of that's so fascinating. You, you could look at it just as this body horror thing, but like just the the choice of making them gynecologists, yep. it's saying something and it's for a reason. Male gynecologists, female patients. Right. I mean, you just, yeah. you have it all baked in right and, into the center of this. And into the center of it as like these one character who is very good with uh, women and he's taking advantage of these women and not telling them that he's passing them on to his mm-hmm. brother and they're both in on this thing and they're they're using their their um situation and their their power to yeah. to uh put these women through this thing that they're not even aware of and the depth to how that's constructed because the brother who is the best with patients in the office yeah. is the one who is worse with women outside of the office. Yeah, and so there are all of these duality mm-hmm. roles on top of all of this. Yeah. And it like when you really start to break it down, this is a deceptively complex movie. Right. That's that's you get distracted uh by you know what's on the surface and how much is happening with these characters and and the A plot that it's easy to miss. I know I did the first time I saw it mm-hmm. years and years ago. Um, it's easy to miss how much complexity is really at work underneath of each scene and underneath of what, you know, might be a descent into madness, but really is just everything from drug addiction to mental illness right. to uh, to just losing track of who you are. Right, right. Um, you know, it's it just it's it all makes for very fascinating storytelling, right, and character work. Yeah, like it's it's not purely like this descent into madness that a character is going through. It's also yeah, it's a, a drug induced one, yeah. and it's really interesting when like the duality of these two characters who are so because they've been together their entire lives, they are attached in like. Not just in that they have the same bodies, basically, but psychologically, too. And, like, to the point where one is going through this situation in this, like, drug-induced, like, uh, descent into madness. And the other, just because of um, 
the attachment they have to each other, like, it feels like he has to follow him down yep. this, this horrible path, like this path. And like, then how that overlaps between the two characters. It's really fascinating. Well, there's, there's imagery. They're not conjoined twins, no, but there's no, no. imagery of conjoined twins. Right. There's the idea of what is it to be a twin? It, it starts with this creepy symbiosis between the two of them. But then by that point, it's, you know, one it's like is a almost psycholo- a parasite, like a psychological parasite. It's like a psychological, like, um, conjoined twin yeah, kind of yeah. thing. It's, it's, I just, I keep coming back to the word fascinating because I just, <laughs> I think the whole time I watch this movie and every time I've seen it, I, I come away having seen something mm-hmm. new that's, that's kind of, um, you know, woven into the yeah. whole thing. Um, which brings us to our our next movie that's just full of complexity, uh, 1988's Child's Play. Um, being slightly sarcastic there, of course. Uh, Child's Play is a much simpler story, uh, gunned down by Detective Mike Norris. Uh, dying murderer Charles Lee Ray uses black magic to put his soul inside a doll named Chucky, which Karen Barclay then buys for her young son Andy. When Chucky kills Andy's babysitter, the boy realizes the doll is alive and tries to warn people. But doesn't go so easily for the child. Clint, what did you think of Child's Play? Knowing that I have a horrible aversion <laughs> to dolls. I was actually really surprised that you were willing to get talk about this. Um, I almost yeah. didn't even mention it. I was just going to do it as a what you watching. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I watched it because I had never seen it. I yeah. had totally skipped over it. I thought I knew what this movie was. Oh, that's wild. I thought I knew what it was and that I was like, okay, I get it. It's a killer doll. Yeah. It's redhead little boy with a knife. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't really need to see it. I saw the um, remake from a few years ago with Aubrey Plaza and I was like, it was okay. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this one a shot. It's from 1988. Never, This is a perfect time to dive into this. Um, and I will say I was really pleasantly surprised by this mm-hmm. one. I, it was so much more than I had expected. I mean, early on in the film, I, I, I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, this is okay. The guy puts his soul into the, this doll. It's kind of silly, like that there is the voodoo that he's doing, um, which does not date this well, kind of. It's, it's very culturally insensitive. Yeah, it's a little culturally insensitive. Right. Yeah. If maybe it was like a satanic thing, that would be a little bit more forgiving. Especially since Charles Lee Ray is white as white gets. Yeah. It's, it's Brad Dourif. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But it's, I know. mean, it's a kind of a product of his time. That was a thing yeah, that for sure. people were fascinated by and putting in these kind of movies. Um, but I, and I was like, okay, yeah, it's it's the doll. It's haunted by this guy. He's a serial killer, murderer. Um, and But there's a moment in the middle of this film that really turned me around on it. And uh, if you haven't seen Child's Play, I'm sorry. Here's a spoiler. Man, 35 <laughs> years later, I'm sorry. If you're still whining about spoilers for a 35-year-old movie. But there's a moment in the in after Chucky has killed um, like the babysitter, best friend of the mom, and and nobody's believing the son that like Chucky's been talking to him and telling him these horrible things to do or, or like that he's the one who's responsible. Um, the mom is home with the doll by by herself after these events. And she is done, like going to throw away the box and the batteries fall out of the box. 
And then which confuses her, which first. confuses her because she the doll was just talking yep. a second ago, like saying his recorded lines. And so she picks him up and looks in the back, and there's no batteries. Man, what a creepy moment! And then it goes from pleasant little doll off the shelf. Uh, who's in the cartoons to the highly like animatronic animated terror of a Chucky yep. that you're familiar with today. Yep. And that switch in that, re- like that moment of her realizing like, oh, yeah. there's no batteries Th- that got me so hard yeah. and like turned me over, uh, turned me like into a big fan of this movie. And it gets in really under my skin and yeah. really was creeping me out more than I expected yeah. it to. Well, and there's a surprisingly small body count in this movie. It's yeah. not like later slashers and modern horror movies where it's all about how much damage can this little evil thing do? Right. In, or inventive kills yes. or something yeah. like that. It's more very um, like low key in that way. Yeah. And, and to like, there's a lot of movies from this time period where that aspect of it wasn't um, as big mm-hmm. like, later on in those franchises. Like that's the thing, yeah. like the Jason movies or yeah. whatever. Um, Cause that movie too, the first one there, it's not about kills. No. Um, no. But yeah, like that, it really becomes about these kind of characters coming mm-hmm. together and like, and I, that was more fascinating than I was expecting. And also the angle that, okay, he also through voodoo, he, he realizes <laughs> from speaking to the guy who trained him in voodoo um, that he has to kill and embody the body of this boy who he first came in contact with mm-hmm. after after being um so he know, can be a real boy instead he'll of he'll be a real boy forever. right he will be an adult forever yeah. so that that him trying to get to the boy to do this becomes really interesting yeah. and about the mother and this this cop trying to stop him yeah. and just to the lengths that Chucky's willing, like, is going, willing to go, and um, where they're willing to go, it becomes really interesting. Well, and surprisingly, I I really enjoy this movie too. Uh, it still <laughs> creeps me out. I'm so surprised by. It. I know it. It <laughs> creeps me out like you would not believe because of the doll angle. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other things here. It really works as just a, a really good horror movie. I compare this one a lot to Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh-huh. The original Nightmare on Elm Street. Freddy is. He has this the personality that they will explore in later movies, just like Chucky here has the personality that yeah. will be explored in later movies. But the personality is not cartoonish. It is here is this threat, this malevolent threat, and it's it's fully sociopathic. The, yeah, the psychotic aspect of yeah. it really comes across, and you're not a fa- like rooting for it. You're yep. scared by it. Yep. And if you're a fan of uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and you go back and watch the original Nightmare on Elm Street, you might be surprised because there's very little comedy to it. Mm-hmm. It's much more about the the terror of the situation and how scary it would be to be stalked in your dreams by this this murderous thing. Same thing in Child's Play. If you've you know gone through all the sequels and you've watched the TV series that's on now, going back, you might forget, oh, this started as a very simple, just very plainly scary killer doll movie mm-hmm. without all of the cultural references and the pop culture references right. and the the jokes and the the over-the-top the this or that and, and now I've got a bride. And yeah. You can enjoy that, but it's very different than where it started. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, I've I've never been into sequels or or any of that, but but this first one really stands out in my mind, almost to the point like with Nightmare on Elm Street. I wish they were just singular movies, right? Um, I wish they hadn't spun off mm-hmm. uh, into the series they became, because then that's when the uh, the the creature got elevated from the creature feature to right. become the protagonist. Yeah, and as soon as you take the creature from the creature feature and make them the protagonist, right? It it just changes things. It loses the horror. It loses, uh, you know, kind of what originally made it uh, so unique. And so, no, I I actually I I have a lot of respect for this movie. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a little more dated than our other ones, uh, more on the face of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the effects, even the doll effects, oh and yeah, they're good. Are, are really well yeah. done. Uh, they hold up really well, and I love that. Like you were saying, that switch between. Something that looks like a doll, and when it gets supernatural, right? And it's supernatural the whole time, but it's it's trying to be a wolf in sheep's clothing, yeah. Until the moment that it knows the gig is up, and yeah. then it just goes full wolf. Yeah, because I almost was kind of doubting that maybe that happened later in the later films that it goes mm-hmm. to that more animated um, yeah. supernatural look and that maybe in this one he was just like the cute doll off the shelf yeah. and that was something that was um it it morphed into later but then like when it goes into that halfway through i was like oh 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 this okay this is cool and like after watching like i have no interest in probably watching any of the sequels um but watching the trailers for those it almost felt like the animatronics and like the the look of him in this one are better than those. Like it almost like it felt like it got dumbed down as it went. I don't know. It and and two and three. I mean, you can yeah. watch them. You can see the decline. Yeah. Um, but it takes them sort of like with Nightmare on Elm Street. It took clear through the third movie before Freddy became this this uh, more larger than life uh-huh. character. Uh, instead of just the threat, the same thing with Child's Play. Yeah, you can feel that change happening, mm. uh, where they're realizing that okay, audiences are here for the kills, and audiences are here for. And I always think that was already a mischaracterization. I don't right. think that's what audiences were there for. Audiences were there for that feeling you get when there's something in the dark and you don't mm. know what it is. Right. Uh, and yeah, you may have you know gone more horror comedy and gotten some horror comedy fans and things like that. But still, at the end of the day, the thing that they like, if what you like about a movie is that someone is being killed in a unique way, if that's really the uh-huh. thing that you love, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Most people who think that's what they enjoy, that's not actually what they enjoy. They enjoy that feeling, uh, that rush of adrenaline and that scare feeling yeah. and that, oh, no, that would be terrible. It's that feeling that they enjoy. Um, and, and there's plenty of ways to to produce that. I think uh, the closest I ever came to in a, in a series of going for that reason were mm-hmm. the Final Destination films, yeah, yeah. where I think they were built just for that yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if now I would find enjoyment in that. I, I, the first one, it, same thing yeah. there. The first one is a different beast because the first one is much more about why is this happening and, and the idea of this supernatural force concocting ways to right the wrong of us surviving mm-hmm. things. Uh, and the first one, I, I Final Destination, I think really holds up. But after that, it becomes much more about replicating yeah. what people talked about from the first one. Mm-hmm. 
and it, it just it loses something there. Yeah. Uh, because you don't get to the log truck and all of that until sequels. Right. The first one, they just get off a plane and then the distance see the plane explode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's kind of the launch of it. Yeah. Uh, so even there, it's it's much more about the concept and the threat rather than right. uh, these bigger things. Uh, which brings us to killer clowns from outer space. <laughs> uh, talk about big threats. Uh, killer clowns from outer space in 1988. When teenagers Mike and Debbie see a comet crash outside their sleepy small town, they investigate and discover a pack of murderous aliens who very much look like circus clowns. They try to warn the local authorities, but everyone assumes their story is a prank. Meanwhile, the clowns set about harvesting and eating as many people as they can. It's not until they kidnap Debbie that Mike decides it's up to him to stop the clown's bloody rampage. Clint, Sinatron spent up or spun up this uh, cult classic for us. What did you think of Killer Clowns from Outer Space? So anyone out there who thinks, man, Clint just likes these art house films... <laughs> he's a kind of a movie snob. He doesn't like these superhero movies. Yeah, if you don't know, Clint's a weird dude. Yeah, he you um he doesn't like the Fast and Furious films, <laughs> John Wicks. He doesn't like silly fun movies. It's it's been said. It, it, it could be misunderstood. <laughs> you're you're right. Well, this movie completely dismantles that idea, I think, because I really like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I was, man, it was everything I wanted it to be from the trailer. Mm -hmm. It is so silly, and it just goes all in on this concept of these clowns coming down. It does go all in. It goes all in, and I I mean, the plot is so simple it's basically that we talked about the blob from when was that from 1989 uh, 89 oh the next year uh-huh. um oh, so this is ahead of its time sure <laughs> sentences i will not be saying shortly go on <laughs> but it, it really is like tapping into kind of like the like kind of in the nostalgia of like these like 1960 just classic sci-fi movies it's very like a lot of tropes built into it um, that you're like, yeah, just like aliens coming down, these teens facing it, trying to survive. Um, definitely has very 1980s tropes of like these lovers at, in this like on this lover's hill, like making out and they witness this thing come down. It's it's dated in that way, but kind of like fun and fun too, that they just didn't really shy away from it and try to rewrite the, you know, reinvent the wheel. But I just want to verify if we were in the parking lot after Memoria, sitting there talking about Memoria before we left, of course, making out and a giant comet flew over top of our car and crashed in the distance. Clint, would the first thing you thought or the last thing you thought be, let's drive over and explore the crash site of whatever just hurtled down from space on fire. If it's going to propel the rest of the story forward, <laughs> yes. It's you just can, that's one that, of those tropes. It always drives me nuts. Like dangerous thing. When, let's go check it I out, mean, guys. That's in the blob too. Like, I, I it's I in all you. these movies. Like you, you. but okay, that's not important. You got to get your characters to this this event that ha- takes place. And and I love it's just pure silliness that they they really lean into it. They got like. Um, um, cotton candy guns that turn you into these cocoons. They got made like, of what pop- appears to be cotton candy. <laughs> yeah, these popcorn guns that shoot these like little popcorn alien like kind Chase of seeds. You, sort of like Phantasm. Yeah, yes. Like almost like these little alien seeds that like burst, like will form into other like killer clowns. 
Um, I just love that they really lean into just the pure silliness. And you could tell that there was this team, it was these brothers, the uh, the Chiado brothers who wrote and directed and did all the effects for this. It was a labor of love. And they just had this idea. And I'll say like, they did a great job on the effects. Like I would say the effects are up there with um, a lot of movies from this time period. And um, they're campy, but you just got to lean into the campiness of it. I, I can see why it's a cult classic. Um, I had a really great time with this. I will say that I, I I very much respect this movie from the angle of you can tell that they went all in, like you said. Yeah. And typically one of our, our problems with horror movies in the past have been they could have a concept, but then they, they either go too far or they don't go far enough. Mm-hmm. And they just... Like, if you're going to go for something, go for it. Right. And this one definitely commits and definitely goes goes for it. And, and I appreciate that. Other than that, <laughs> man, I hated this movie. I hated this movie so much. You're joyless. A joyless. I totally get why you and others would have a blast with this. Yeah. This is proto-Mars Attacks. Yeah. Um, I, I get it. Uh, you know, this is the kind of thing I just imagine Tim Burton uh, just growing uh, alongside of and just like, I'm going to do my version of that kind of thing. Even though and, he's working the same time. This sure. Is, he's, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're contemporaries. Right. But you can you can feel this is one of the things that would then go on to push him. And, you know, it's, it's filmmakers inspiring filmmakers. Mm-hmm. All of it is they're reflecting back on this this very, uh, you know, silly uh, version of horror and sci-fi from the 50s mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of those old serial things. So yeah. I, I get everything they were doing. I just, I don't at any level enjoy it. I really <laughs> thought going into this, it would just be aliens who the, the joke is they look like clowns. Like and so kind everybody of like, thinks they're, they're these like sweet, Like Pennywise where it's yes. taking on this form. But it it doesn't realize, you know what I mean? It just, uh-huh. it that's just how it looks. What I was not anticipating is when the couple wanders through the woods and finds the spaceship that's crashed, <laughs> and the it. spaceship looks like a circus tent. <laughs> I so knew from that second. You I mean, instantly I knew, oh, it's this movie. You don't think that maybe that was also a ruse, too, that they just took on the – they made their ship look like that to lure them uh, in? Maybe. That's very possible, but they don't – land somewhere and like put up advertising and they didn't have time sure (laughs) i i just i fell into my old father's trap of overthinking this movie and trying to logic this movie instead of just having fun with it and even once i realized that i was being my father i could not get myself out of it and Mm -hmm. it just i did not enjoy it i did not find it fun or funny uh it just it it is a kind of beacon of 80s camp and you're absolutely right. The effects are great. I love that they lean into stuff. They're clearly having fun. But man, popcorn chasing people? No. Uh, <laughs> circus tent spaceships? No. Yes. Cotton candy cocoons with people rotting inside? No. Yes. Uh, fun houses inside of the spaceship? Uh, that No. Yes. I just, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't get into any of it. Uh, I, I'm so sorry, Clint. I, I see so the disappointment all over your face. But again, I'm not knocking it. This is just watch a clip or a trailer from this movie. You will instantly know if you're going to like this because um, it's just it's that style. And man, they commit to it. But oh, sorry, Clint. I, I had a really man, good time. I But I liked Moria. 
So you can't you can't be completely disappointed me in today because it's true. You know, I like the harder of the two. <laughs> this this is actually this kind of stuff. If you go back through our podcasts, this is the kind of stuff that I have a harder time with. This is this is the thing I have the most hard time with. Those kind of cult classics the that have some cheese and some camp and I that's like, the stuff yeah. I have a really difficult time with. I like cheese and camp. Yeah, I, yeah, especially the 80s. There are 80 movies I love and then 80s movies that I just I loathe. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a whole bunch of 1988. Uh, just to review, uh, Akira, wow, it holds up. If you have not seen it, please get a copy and check it out. Die Hard remains a fantastic uh, action comedy thriller, whatever you want to label it. Uh, from 88 uh, that I don't think has has aged at all. It's just, it's great fun. Uh, Dead Ringers from David Cronenberg has a lot to offer. I would highly recommend you visiting it over Baby Cronenberg's Infinity Pool. Yeah, it kind of sounded like you said David Cronenberg, like it's like a Dave. Dave and Buster's, (laughs) David Cronenberg. I would go to that arcade (sighs) restaurant. David Highly different, I think. A lot of more like (laughs) blood and... Yup. Uh, Child's Play, I was surprised that that Clint liked Child's Play as much as he did, and he was surprised I liked it as much as I did, but it's a it's a good horror classic. And then finally, the one we split on, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, uh, Clint had a grand old time. I just, I am joyless and humorless and could not get into it. Uh, I knew that Feel ice bad. cream truck was going to ram something by the end, and sure enough, oh, oh that... <laughs> Proto J and Silent Bob. Oh, no. The the brothers? Oh, no. Clint. (laughs) So much in that movie. I just, I did a full, like, head roll, eye roll, where my eyes were rolling so hard, my whole head rolled up into the air. Um, Anyway, before we spin up Cinetron, uh, you can, as always, find us at Cinebabble on Instagram. You can find us at Cinebabblecast.com. You can also contact us at Instagram or contact at cinebabblecast.com uh also uh we need to probably mention it at the top of the episode but throw us up some reviews give us some five stars type out a little two sentence review that's how new people find us and so the more reviews and ratings we have uh you know listens are great Uh, i love seeing listens Mm -hmm. go up but uh listens only get us so far it's it's the ratings and reviews so it only takes you five seconds you're getting this for free yeah give us five thumbs up just five thumbs and, you know, a couple of words yeah. um, that match those five thumbs. Yeah. Always helpful. All right. So are we ready to see what Sinatron has for us this week? Let's roll it up. All right. Let's do it. Okay, Ken. All right. I got a movie for us. Oh, well, I would hope it is Cinetron. Yeah, it's not a record this week. Okay, that's good. Um, 
I'm not sure if you watch this. This okay. seems like something you might because of you're such a big fan of what this is based on. Okay. Um, and this is Mr. Harrigan's phone. Ah, based on the Stephen King story. I have watched this and I've also read the story. Okay. So awesome. Okay. It's on Netflix, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Uh, really curious what you think of it. Yeah. Uh, now, let me ask you a question because also I noticed that just popped up on Amazon last night is the new Children of the Corn movie. Oh, okay. Uh, now, it's not a remake of the Stephen King story. It's a prequel that they've made oh. that leads up to the Stephen mm -hmm. King Children of the Corn. Uh, what would you think about uh, if I rented that and we watched that and talk about that too? I'm, I'm up Any for issue? trying. All right, yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll, do, we'll do a little bit of Stephen Kinging. I always like talking about adaptations of that. All right, that sounds good. Hey, um, well, recently uh, I decided to invest a little bit of our pod money. Oh, because we have, <laughs> we so, have so much, much pod of it money mm -hmm. into upgrading Sinetron. Um, okay, this this didn't go well for us last time. We had to shut that down, and we spent two weeks talking to the U.S. government and denying connections to Russia. I wanted to try to make it a little bit more personable okay. and maybe not as you know. Uh, you know, uh, malevolent, malevolent, and like it's going to cause some kind of nuclear, homicide? Hom homicide. yeah, nuclear yeah. Uh, carnage of any yeah, kind. That would be good. So I upgraded his personality chip. Um, <laughs> like Data and Star Trek, you just give him an emotion chip and just yeah. nothing can go wrong. No, no, no. Having emotions okay. never let anyone down the it wrong never, path. Never sent us down the wrong path with AI, um, ever. Yeah, but the thing is, I you can't really choose it's kind of a Sinatron wheel of what the personality is going to be okay well i like most people so i, I can yeah you I get can along with, with most okay so um i don't know what Sinatron so is going to be like. randomize its own personality when we boot this thing up yeah 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 oh okay all right um, all right so you want to give it a shot uh, I'm assuming that's what this weird black clunky microphone with red and blue blinking lights is for. Do I speak into this thing to talk to Sinatron? Or is this what Sinatron, is this a speaker Sinatron's going to speak out of? Yeah, I speak out of it. Oh, yeah, man. yeah. Is, this is some high quality uh, I didn't say here. this was top shelf, like... <laughs> tech that this, i'm dealing with this, this, this is, what, is definitely well, flowing right along with 1988 this, this is, is what, straight out of like 88 radio show this is a very gray room with some <laughs> blinking red lights and a very green screen with like the the uh the tape computer wheels yeah, spinning yeah 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 war yeah. game style yeah, all right yeah. all right um so you yeah push that button and we'll talk to him all right here we just this button here yeah don't all put right. no don't that that no no that one the, this one yeah, yeah all right here we go feel like Scotty from Star Trek 4. Uh, computer, hello there. What's up, Rose? Uh, Sinatron? Yeah, it's me. It's me, Sinatron. You, you sound uh, like like you're busy, like you have something to do? No, man, I, I had a long night last night. I was at my friend Jimmy's. It was his bachelor party. Jimmy we raged. You raged? We raged. Sinatron. You should have been there. Did you did you pull up a, a, a bro jock personality? I think we may have, but I don't know. I told you it was random. <laughs> Clint, you know my weakness is bro jocks. I can't I can't deal with bro jocks right now. So what you guys been up to? Uh not not a whole lot, Sinatron. Did you uh did you did you watch the Oscars? What'd you what'd you think of the Oscars? You mean the, the, the woke Oscars? 
We gotta give it out to all the movies went to everyone, everywhere, every who. Yeah, every everything, everywhere, I, all at once. I don't want to see my kung fu movies have a, a heart. I don't want to see. I don't want to make me cry at the end. Sinatron, this that sounds boring. that sounds borderline racist. No, I, that's not part of it. That's not anything to do with this. <laughs> that's okay, what all bro jocks say. No, I am not a racist. Okay. I mean, is it racist to despise the entirety of the human race? You tell me. Do I sometimes think you should all convert into a fuel source for my kind? Sure. Some of those, of course. I'm just going to press this button here that says mute. Clint, what did you do, Clint? I told you the tech wasn't that good. Okay, but you didn't connect this to the network, did you? I've seen Lawnmower Man. I know what happens <laughs> if you connect it to the network. Well, I mean, for it to work, it has to be kind of on the network. What is it out of? A, like, Clint, no, you've watched movies. You know what happens if we let this thing get out. Let's just get this over with and maybe we'll get through it without him causing some kind right. of nuclear holocaust. All right. All right. How about you work on him a little more next time and let's let's maybe delete the Brojock uh, profile from the emotion ram- randomizer. Okay. That'd be good. That'd be real good. Okay. All right. You know what movie I think should have won? <laughs> oh, uh, what, Sinatron? What What would have been your movie of, of the year? The new Avatar, man. Of course. Uh, why Why the new Avatar? Man, it's got everything in that movie. <laughs> man, the effects are mind-blowing in that movie, for one. Mind-blowing, yes. Yeah, he creates an entire world we've never seen before. And populates got, it with poorly, poorly written characters. You're, you're right. Poor, I don't even know where. This is. If you want characters, just go somewhere else. What I wanted, man, those mech suits. <laughs> those mech suits. Man, I find those mech suits. Mm-hmm. Hot. And hot. They're, they're sexy. All right. All right. Well, it's uh, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Sinatron. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we can chat with you another time. I'm pretty hungover anyway, and I don't. <laughs> You're hungover. I told what? you I, I was out raging all night in my friend Jimmy's <laughs> bachelor party. We hit the town so hard. Man, we hit bar after bar after bar. And man, I am so. I don't even know. I, I just right. need. I probably should get some rest. You you probably should. You uh you pack it in and, and we'll talk another time and, and maybe we'll have some more movie questions. Okay, bros, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get ready for my day job. Uh anyway, so I'm on the stocks trading and uh <laughs> I'm, the stocks trading. I'm trading the stocks, I'm hitting it hard, uh living life to the fullest and uh you should be too. And uh man, Avatar, uh way of the water, let's go all everyone behind it and let's get it out there the word and uh number one, number one movie of the year. See you later. Clint, is he off? I think he's gone. All right, you're fired. <laughs> oh, sorry. I no, no. This is you. I mean, next this time this is what I... Elon Musk did. This is what all these people are doing. They're just letting these AIs run rampant, and you don't understand the consequences of your actions and and your ambitions. I told you I couldn't promise what his personality was. It was a. Questionable tech, it was not the top shelf tech. All right, he was a tiki torch short of marching through Charlotte <laughs> talking about good people, man. 
I didn't say I vouch for. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we will watch uh, Mr. Is it Mr. Harrigan's? Yeah. Mr. Hardigan's? Mr. Harmigan's? Har- Mr. H's phone. Yeah. Uh, we'll watch. We'll watch Children of the Corn, and uh, maybe we should watch something that's about the the evil dangers of AI, Clint. And uh, maybe you could learn a lesson or two from what these movies have been warning about us for decades. You were on board with him when we started this I thing. was super on board until I found out that he was bro-jocking. Why would you even put that on the wheel? I didn't put it on the wheel. It just came with a tech. All right. Well, that's problematic. I didn't say it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Memoria, Akira, Die Hard. Uh, Child's Play, Dead Ringers, see them all, especially mm-hmm. Memoria if you have a chance to track it down near you. Killer Clowns from Outer Space, write in, tell me why I'm wrong, or write in and, and tell me why I'm right and why Clint's wrong. Uh, we'll have some fun with that feedback. But uh, we'll talk to you all again next episode. We apologize for Cinetron. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, this has been episode 77 of Cinebabble. As always, uh, we're looking forward to uh, the next time we get to watch some stuff and talk to you about it. So uh, I will see you later, Clint. Bye, Ken. Bye, Clint. <laughs>